Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Today, I am going to be jumping into the NRL Power Hour. As you can probably tell, you most likely already clicked what said NRL Power Hour. So I'm sure you already know what's coming up, but I'm sure maybe you've listened to the podcast before. Maybe you haven't. If it's your first time, welcome. If you've come back, welcome back. Now, we're going to jump into round 15 of the NRL. Of course, this week is the international bye week, so there's no NRL to get stuck into this week. So I'm going to jump through round 15, uh, spend a little bit of time on each game, and then, yeah, at the end, if you've listened to the podcast before, you'll know there's a few things I get to at the end. The X Factor Player of the Round, the Rising Star nomination, Tough Stuff, and of course, the Cause for Concern, as well as taking a bit of a look at the ladder. So, look, if you enjoy the podcast today, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Not Just a Sports Report, and also follow us on whatever podcast platform you are listening on, and you'll be able to see as soon as new NRL and international footy content drops, because there's going to be some of that and some Origin content coming out as well. So, plenty, plenty to look forward to. But let's get stuck in now to our first game of round 15. And it was the Dragons absolutely toweling up the Rabbitohs. And they did all the work early in the early stages of the game. So Dragons absolutely decimating the South Sydney Rabbitohs. An incredible way to start the weekend. I certainly did not have the Dragons winning that. I thought if they were to win that that it might be a bit lower scoring and a real grinding affair, similar to how they beat the Roosters earlier this year. But honestly, the Dragons, like, I have to give them full credit. I said that their run has to start now, and it has. So the Dragons' run has begun, but they need to keep going because they've got sides like the Roosters, the Seagulls, and the Raiders below them who are trying desperately to make up ground. And Dragons' inconsistency has kind of plagued them at times throughout this season as well, so they need to stay on the straight and narrow. I think they play the Raiders twice as well on their run home, so those two games will be extremely crucial. But now, the Dragons find themselves in the eight, so an absolutely incredible win. Cody Ramsey, awesome at fullback. I spoke, if you listen to the preview podcast during the week, I kind of addressed my preseason picks. I did podcasts for every team. And kind of my thoughts going into the season, well, Cody Ramsey, he has proved himself as that perfect number one, or nobody's perfect, but as that perfect solution to their number one issues. Because I really like Tyrell Sloan, but they definitely look like a better side, the Dragons, at the moment with Cody Ramsey at fullback, going very, very well since getting that number one jersey. Ben Hunt was outstanding as well, led from the front, two try assists, and he also scored the opening try of the game about six minutes in or something, so got his side started, and from there they did not take their foot off the gas. For the Rabbitohs, look, they stemmed the bleeding in the second half, but they were in shocking form, like this is not what I expected from the Rabbitohs. They have been lackluster, and if I had had to pick a team from within the eight to drop out, I would have picked the uh, the Rabbitohs rather than the Roosters. Um, but I thought, like, the Rabbitohs, I'm still waiting for them to kind of hit 
hit their stride and come toward finals in mad form. Cody Walker, I think the uh, return of Latrell Mitchell is going to get them going, but I I thought they needed to get going here, and they didn't. They just couldn't, and the Dragons... The Dragons embarrassed them, so now it looks like the Dragons could very well claim that spot in the final series over the Rabbitohs, or even over potentially the Roosters. So, very exciting times for Dragons fans, and look, even if you guys don't play finals at the end of the year, like, I think the best thing you want from your side is value, to at least be in the running, and you know, each game means something. That's coming from me, a Warriors fan, where now the games mean a pretty much nothing i mean the return to mount smart stadium will definitely mean a lot but i mean like for the last decade the warriors basically half their season they're not even playing for point i mean they're playing for points but like for what you know so definitely i think i don't know as a warriors fan like i know if storm fans or roosters fans would have loftier expectations same goes for the dragons because i mean one of the greatest sides of all time pre-merger you think about, you know, the run they had way back, way back, so many premierships in a row. And I think from that point, that kind of success of the Dragons, that has stuck around. And so for them to not be as much a power club in this day and age, like I think the ex- expectation of the Dragons is still higher than that of lower sides like the Warriors or the Titans. But I think ultimately, like, finals should be the goal. So right now, you'd have to say the Dragons, right now, definitely a pass mark. Getting up over the Rabbitohs, and now they can make their run over what is a stretch of games that is really going to test them. Not not all easy games. And I think the two against the Canberra Raiders are the especially large ones, given that Raiders and Dragons are two of those sides looking to make a big run. If one of those two sides can get two from two in those fixtures, then all of a sudden they are a massive chance of making the eight, especially in the Dragons' case. So one of the things I spoke about uh, coming to like the just-past-mid-season point of the competition and kind of giving my midway thoughts, well, one of the things I said was that I didn't think the makeup of the top eight was going to change in terms of the teams. Uh, I just thought the order would be different. Well, that has immediately been proven wrong with the Dragons now breaking into the top eight. So that is really exciting. I was just waiting. I was like, who from that bottom eight can make a run? Because teams each week, like now you'd say Knights, nut. Whereas maybe last week, it's like, oh yeah, they're they're an outside chance. A few weeks ago, like Warriors were there or thereabouts. Now they are no chance. Same goes for the Titans. I mean, the Bulldogs, who knows? It's I think it's at the point now where they got to win like every single game. Um, but still, like Bulldogs in some mighty form. So they've hit their straps. But for the Dragons, they now have the opportunity to press toward the final series. So very exciting, especially for the younger players in the squad. And for Anthony Griffin, well, I talked about how some of the youth and the players that were highly regarded, um, like Tyrell Sloan or Jaden Sullivan, they haven't quite come on to the levels I'd expected them to. So I wasn't too sure about Anthony Griffin and the Dragons overall, but look, I was immediately proven wrong with this huge, huge win on the weekend. Dragons now look like they may very well claim a spot in the top eight. Checking out the stats for the game, Damian Cook, busy as ever, 50 tackles, also scored a try, two line breaks and six tackle breaks. So 
Damian Cook's still very much electric and holding the Rabbitohs down in defense, whereas his teammates, they weren't holding him down. They were absolutely belted the Rabbitohs within that first half an hour. We saw Michaeli Ravalawa score two tries, Zach Lomax with those two try assists. So on that right side, they were definitely in form. The Rabbitohs left edge defensively just... It just wasn't working. It was not working, and the Dragons were exploiting it every single time in the opening stages of the game. In terms of meter makers, well, Blake Laurie topped the meters count, ran for 206 meters, was very, very busy on the night, Blake Laurie, and yet, full credit to him, like, he laid the platform for the backs to do what they did, and what they did was very, very exciting. We also had Cody Ramsey, who I mentioned before. He scored a try, had six tackle breaks as well, so causing the Rabbitohs all sorts of nightmares. And speaking of nightmares, when I look at the stats, sometimes I'll also look at a couple maybe not so positive, not in a way to kind of bag players, but just to see, you know, it's good to see who's doing the good stats, but also kind of the mistakes, the errors, the missed tackles, who who kind of didn't pull their weight. And yeah, again, this is like a, not a negative piece in saying that, like how many missed tackles would I have if I was out there on the field? So this is in no way a, me trying to attack these players, but these are who definitely didn't have their best night. So Tom Burgess, five missed tackles in the middle. Uh, just not what you'd expect from Big Tom. He, he has been quite good. Solid in the middle. Um, there was word that Rabbitohs were going to get rid of him, and now they want to keep him. And does he stay? Does he go? But five missed tackles, that, that's not good from Tom Burgess. And whether that was him directly, I didn't watch too closely to that. So I don't know whether a lot of those were direct one-on-one -on -one tackles or whether sometimes it could have been the guy next to him or the defensive line um, that was causing him to miss tackles. But five missed tackles for Tom Burgess. Definitely need to be better. Dragons finding their way through the Rabbitohs middle far too many times. And Damian Cook and Campbell Graham had three errors apiece. So for Campbell Graham specifically, that really hurt his origin chances. I mean, I don't think he would have been named, but had he had a sensational game, maybe he would have at least been a lot more in consideration for Freddie Fittler's blue side origin two. Uh, but three errors for Campbell Graham, an unfortunate night for him. Same for Cook. And yeah, overall, Rabbitohs just very disappointing. Very, very disappointing. The minimal Kamehameha guy doing his Kamehameha stuff uh, for the Rabbitohs on the weekend. I'll tell you that much for free. Now, post-representative round, let's look what's up next for these sides, NRL-wise. Dragons host the Raiders. Mentioned that game a few times already because that is one of great significance. So I can't wait to preview that and I can't wait to ultimately sit down and watch that. Dragons looking to retain their spot in the top eight up against the Canberra Raiders who are trying to make a finals run of their own. As for Souths, they are hosting the Eels. Who the hell knows what kind of Eels side will show up? Is it the side that beats the Storm, the Roosters, the Panthers? Or is it the side that loses to the Tigers or the Bulldogs? I really don't know. So Eels, a very tough matchup. South, again, what kind of South Sydney Rabbitohs are going to show up? I, I don't know. So yeah, that's going to be a pretty tricky one to call. I can see both sides winning. I can see both sides losing. So South's obviously hurt a lot by no Adam Reynolds as well. We saw Lachlan Elias get hooked at the start of this game. Well, not right at the start, but yeah, they did get hooked. 
I've heard word they've said, you know, he is going to retain that halfback jersey. Jason Demetrio has said Lachlan Elias will be playing halfback when they come back from the international break. So, look, the Adam Reynolds thing definitely hurting them big time. I know that they've probably got their eggs in other baskets and trying to bring some young guys through and not lose them. But ultimately, like, the Adam Reynolds thing has definitely been a major factor in their drop, as has no Wayne Bennett. Latrell Mitchell missing a chunk of the season as well. And Dame Gagai, like, he definitely added a lot of strike to the South Sydney backline. So Souths and Eels up next. That is going to be a very interesting one to get into. And for South Sydney, they've got to work out They've got to work out a way forward as far as this year's final series because they are still in the hunt. They are still chasing that premiership. They were the runners-up last year. They have that pain to fuel them, but they just don't look like the same Rabbitohs side of the last couple of years. It's been a big dip in terms of the Rabbitohs, and I thought there was going to be a dip. They're about where I saw them sitting on the ladder, but at at the same time, I, I don't know. There's just not heaps to encourage me that they're about to lift. I think Latrell coming back will be significant, but ultimately Rabbitohs may very well dip and miss the eight altogether. So I'm going to be watching them very closely. For the Dragons, they've got a very bright future. They're looking at retention rather than recruitment at the moment and trying to keep their quality young stars. So the Dragons, I mentioned it in the preseason, that is one of their points of difference. They have some very, very elite young talents ready to step up. So I'm excited, very excited to see the Dragons over the next five to ten years. But ultimately now we can get be getting excited about them for 2022 because they are in the top eight as it stands. It is crunch time for the Dragons now. And Anthony Griffin is going to want to make the finals with this Dragon side, considering the barbecue gate last year. And Hook actually had the Dragons going really well. They looked like potentially they were going to make the eight last year. The barbecue gate, that whole fucking situation, totally derailed their season. This time, they don't have Paul Vaughan. They don't have Matt Dufty, who great players. But funnily enough, the dogs getting rid of both of them next year as well. So... Maybe Hook has got the right eye on who to keep and who maybe to move on, little things like that. So it is going to be very, very interesting to see how the Dragons go for the rest of this season. But all of a sudden, St. George sitting pretty nicely. So the game against the Raiders, no doubt, going to be absolutely crucial. And yeah, that's, that's all for this one. So I will move on to the Friday night fixtures in a moment. Of course, this weekend, plenty of action. We've got the under-19s origin. Cannot wait for that. Always love watching the guys who are going to be those next superstars up. And we're going to have Origin 2, of course. I'll do a separate podcast talking and previewing that actual game. We're going to have New Zealand up against Tonga at Mount Smart Stadium. My goodness, that is going to be unreal as well. I will be doing an international footy preview podcast in the next couple of days, previewing that game, as well as Papua New Guinea. I believe they're playing Fiji from memory uh, and Samoa. Memory's not great right now. Trying to think who Samoa were playing. Um, Off the top of my head, I can't think so. But what I can do is just scratch off the top of the head, pause and Google. And they're playing Cook Islands. How could I have forgotten? That should actually be a pretty quality game, Cook Islands. Plenty of the guys in the squad not with NRL experience, so that's going to be really interesting. Great chance for them to display their skills and their talents ahead of the World Cup later this year. Uh, Cook Islands as well, they have some quality 
quality guys. They've had chance Nicole Klukstad in the past. Obviously, he's a Kiwis representative now, although injured at this time. Uh, but Cook Islands, they have some exciting young kids. Kyle Iro, along with his younger brother, I believe he's younger. Uh, we have, don't fact check me on that. My Cook Islands knowledge isn't super strong. I know Alex Glenn at times has played for them. They will be led by Tinarau Arona, who is playing over in the Super League for Wakefield as a former Sydney Rooster. They have Anthony Gelling, or Jelling, who a uh, former Warrior, both Wigan Warrior and New Zealand Warrior. Uh, where else was he? Spent some time elsewhere in the Super League. Not sure exactly where he is at this current time. Sorry for the lack of knowledge. I will definitely brush up a little bit ahead of the actual game. Uh, so they are taking place on Saturday. We've got Samoa and Cook Islands. Really, really keen to see how Samoa go, given just what Tonga have been able to do. And now it's the balls in Samoa's court. And by the sounds of what the players have been talking about and things around the coach and the, the direction in the last however long, like at least the last World Cup onward, and maybe even before that, like it just it wasn't clicking. They they wasn't wasn't being done right. It just seemed. And so now I think they have a real chance if they can do things right, like they have the players, no doubt, to match some of the quality sides of the international game. So Samoa, Cook Islands, New Zealand up against Tonga, and of course Papua New Guinea, who, a nation that just loves rugby league as much or potentially more than us in Australia and New Zealand and beyond. So Papua New Guinea, I'm very keen always to see them in international action. I think we need to continue to grow the game there. Obviously, they've got a side in the Queensland Cup, but, I mean, how good would it be eventually if they had their own NRL team? Like, it would be wild. The scenes would be so good, and they could channel it into, like, a pretty pretty quality team. I mean, obviously, they're not going to do it in the next few years, but if they did, think of guys like Justin Olin. You know, like Justin Olam, there are plenty of undiscovered diamonds like a Justin Olam. And if you gave them an NRL club setup or Fiji, like Fiji have the Fiji and Silk Tails, not in the New South Wales Cup at the moment. I believe they're the level below. Um, but this is what needs to be done. Eventually, it'd be great to see like a Pacific Samoa Tonga. Uh, they kind of have teams in the Queensland or New South Wales Cups. Because we need to develop in the Pacific nations, no doubt. We need to develop the international game. But look, I will save that for the international podcast because I've got plenty to talk about around the international game and things like that. So this is more for the NRL power. So we'll save, we'll save everything else for in a couple of days. So let's move on now to the early Friday game. The North Queensland Cowboys, a miracle, an absolute miracle. I missed this game. I thought it was over. I thought it was over. There was 10 minutes left. I was like, this is over. It was not over. I was like, what is actually going on? A spectacular bed shit from the Seagulls. And for the Cowboys, well, this shows exactly where they're at. They have come along in leaps and bounds. This is not the Cowboys of the last few years who... It was even up against like the lower-ranked sides. The Cowboys were traditionally just not a side to tip. Every week it was like, oh, I don't have enough trust in the Cowboys. Now all of a sudden they're pulling off stuff like this, like three tries in the space of only a few minutes in the last 10 minutes of the game. It doesn't get much more clutch than that. It absolutely speaks to North Queensland's belief under Todd Payton. As I talked about in the preview podcast, 
A lot of similarities between the 2005 Tigers under Tim Sheens and this Cowboys squad under Todd Payton. And let's not forget Todd Payton, a member of that West Tigers premiership winning team in 2005. So I'm really excited. Like that was a big, big moment. Big moment. And they've done it before against the Eels, but in the past when they were at the peak of their powers, I believe, Jonathan Thurston in the lineup. But now this this is the best they've looked since Jonathan Thurston. And even then, like, I mean, they look incredible right now across the board from the fullback all the way through, all the way through to their top 30 squad. Like a lot of their guys consistently playing well at Queensland Cup level. For the Seagulls, they are now 0-8 up against top eight sides. They just cannot seem to match it when it comes to these top eight sides. And that makes it, you'd have to say they can't make the top eight. And I know they still have enough points on the ladder, but they haven't beaten anyone of significance, like anyone. Name one, name one, name one team. Like you can't. Raiders, probably the most significant team they've beaten this year. And the Raiders had an awful start to the season. So yeah, I spoke about it in the preview for this game. It's why I picked the Cowboys. I could definitely see the Seagulls winning uh, and just the way it all went down. Like, oh, the Seagulls, they lost really late up against the Eels as well. Another top eight side that they looked like they had them beat. And yeah, just really unfortunate they'll bounce back like they're an awesome club they've got an awesome coach great players as well so this isn't like all doom and gloom but when it comes to like making a premiership run this has been very very grim the sides they've beaten super unimpressive and each week like when they beat a tigers or beat a warriors i've just said like cool i'm not going to dwell on this too much we'll report back when they beat a top eight side and they still cannot do it is it it playing on their minds now like i wouldn't think that it is given that they have so many experienced players like cherry evans and foreign but what is behind this is they just is that where they are at given that there is a massive divide between the best elite teams like the panthers and storm and the worst teams like the warriors and the tigers so maybe the seagulls are just perfectly placed in the middle like they're better than the shit sides but they're not as good as the better sides. So may that seems to be where it stands. 0-8 up against top eight sides this year. I won't dwell on that too much. I've talked about it all year. It's a common theme. Like that is a glaring stat. Eight games against top eight sides this year and they have lost every single one of those. If you thought there was one they could win, well, it was the Cowboys at Four Pines Park or known as Brookvale Oval as well. And they had it won. They had it won. And uh, I, I think this is more speaking about how good the Cowboys are, but manly like that, that is very telling. So I honestly don't think they can make a run. Like I know they're, they've got like the points on the board where they can potentially push for finals, but and I was wrong. I said like, I didn't think the Dragons were going to break into the eight and they did, but just I just don't know. How can you make the eight if you can't beat all the top eight sides? Like, they seem like they'll come ninth. They'll beat all the sides in the bottom eight, but they won't be able to beat any of the top eight sides. How can you possibly... Like, those games are the crucial ones. Like I said, Raiders and Dragons playing each other twice in their respective run homes. So, like, that is massive because you're going up against a top eight side or they are just outside the eight 
And that is a big one to win. And in all those kinds of games this year, this year, can't speak English now, apparently, Manly have lost. So going into the break, they are definitely going to have to have a look at how they can come out and fix that because it is definitely stopping them, not only from winning a premiership, but also probably from appearing in finals as it stands. But I'll jump onto the Cowboys. They totally have silenced the doubters, including myself, who had them finishing second last in my preseason prediction. They've silenced me. They're in the top four. They are in third place. What was another criticism? Oh, well, once they go to Sydney, they've been playing all their games in Queensland and whatnot. Once they have to play in Sydney, it'll be a different story. Well, we saw they were challenged by Manly, but I think that Sydney narrative can be put to bed given, oh, the tries. Like, honestly, it's I'm just flashing back to the three tries and how quickly they happened. I went back and just watched that last 10 minutes and I was like, wow. I will jump into what happened in just a moment. Another thing I want to talk about, Valentine Holmes. Could he be a lock for the first choice left center position for the Australian Kangaroos come the World Cup this year? If the Queensland Maroons win the Origin Series, well, he'll have his nose in front. Maybe he'll be contending with Latrell Mitchell, who you'd have to suggest if he's healthy, he will be right in the mix. But Val Holmes, he has been having an incredible season and all of a sudden he's really putting himself in the box seat to be there come the World Cup and lift that World Cup up high at the end of the year, which the Australian Kangaroos always expect to do. I believe, I think he's won a World Cup before. I think he played in the last World Cup, but I'm not sure whether he played in the World Cup winning team. I would have said that he would have, but who knows? He could have been in the NFL. Like, I was thinking about that the other day. Like, oh yeah, he went to NFL for a little bit. That was rogue. I think Holmes and Hayne both going to NFL and like nothing really happening was like, okay, now players who probably were thinking about doing it and maybe less so thinking about doing that. But Holmes, left center, he's found a position in the Cowboys lineup. They talked, the media talked like he couldn't play fullback. He's so good on the wing. How can you have a bit, a bit of both? Well, you play him at left center. Todd Payton is getting the best out of not just Valentine Holmes, but everyone. And that includes Ruben Cotter, who unfortunately has picked up an injury. So he will not be playing in State of Origin 2. He will be a big loss for the Maroons, given that he got through 80 minutes on debut. Very, very impressive performance. And for the Cowboys, that will be a loss. But now he'll get to rest up. He'll probably miss the rest of the Origin series. And if he gets his body right, well, he'll be coming into the Cowboys lineup as they surge toward finals, potentially in, still in third spot, maybe pushing for second. I don't know. They may drop down, but I'm just so, so impressed with the Cowboys at the moment. Also so impressed with Lachlan Croker. I got to eat my words in the preview podcast. I was talking about how Manly, like he gets through heaps of tackles and stuff, but he just doesn't move the needle. And that was no knock on Lachlan Croker, but it, like, he moved the needle. He scored two tries back to back and well and truly moved the needle. So I got to, you know, give credit where it's due there. Lachlan Croker, you moved the needle, brother. So apologies for what I said. Now, getting to the game highlights. First try, we had Christian Tuipilotu coming over for Manly or going over the try line for Manly. Pretty good. Good to see him getting some action. He was a Warriors junior, so I've paid attention to his career. Was at the Roosters, been at Manly for a couple of years now, and he's really been a great addition given that Trebojevic out, 
Garrick had to move to fullback. Jason Saab, nowhere near the form he was last year. So Christian Tuipilotu has managed to emerge and make himself one of the first choices when it comes to picking the backline for Manly. Manly followed that first try up with the second as well, Ruben Garrick going over. That gave them a 10-0 lead. And Ruben Garrick has been awesome in the fullback position. I think that he's got, now that he's got a bit of time to just like find his feet there and he's not like a stopgap solution, he is the fullback. He, he's going really well. I'm really impressed with Ruben Garrick. So Manly up 10-0. Then the Cowboys get back into the game. Chad Townsend with a kick for Valentine Holmes to score. And then Jeremiah Nanai scores. So the Cowboys took a 12-10 lead, started to warm into the game. Manly, they needed something, and that is when Christian Tuipilotu went over for his second try. So Christian Tuipilotu really worked hard. He was trying everything, and he hasn't been nominated this year yet for my Not Just a Sports Report Rising Star Award, which will be voted on by the fans at the end of the year. But, I mean, by the end of the year, I think he will get a nomination. He has been incredible for the Seagulls, but definitely didn't help his case that he was in a losing side. Then Lachlan Croker kicks a 40-20 and follows that up by scoring two tries. That is like the definition of moving the needle. In a game sense, like, so yeah, I was like, oh, wow. Because I've released the podcast literally, like, I think the game had already been on for like 15 minutes. And so, yeah, I switched on the game and I was just like, oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, interesting. Needles moved most definitely by Lachlan Croker. At this stage, Manly lead 26 to 12. That's where Lachlan Croker made a huge difference. The Cowboys were in front, then Tuipilotu just gave them the edge, but the real turning point for Manly was that 40-20 and the two tries by Lachlan Croker. So full credit to him, major effort. Manly up 26 to 12, and that leads us to our last 10 minutes of the game. 26 to 12, I turned the television off. I thought it was done. I was like, this is over. But it was not over. 73rd minute, Reese Robson scores a try. 74th minute, one minute later, Connolly Lemuelu bound for the Dolphins next year. He scores a try, well and truly game on. Now, the kickoff to the Cowboys is knocked on by Jeremiah Nanai, and there was that feeling for Cowboys fans of like, no. No, and for the Seagulls, like, yes, okay, that has just stopped this very quick run. Nanai's dropped the ball, Seagulls feed the scrum, Daily Cherry Evans gets whacked, drops the ball. Like, oh, it, it was like unbelievable. Just the fact, two tries in like two minutes just before this, Nanai knocks it on, totally looks like that is the end of the Cowboys night. Cherry Evans drop ball scooped up Val Holmes far out like the energy was crazy Seagulls fans were like no 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 rugby league fans were like yes and watching the replay I was just like wow wow like so incredible especially coming toward origin Valentine Holmes two tries in the game the match winning try seeing all the boys get around each other after the try, seeing Todd Payton in the coaching box going off, that is what I love about footy. I like to focus on the positive aspects rather than all the negative shit that is always getting floated around. Although I do criticize teams, as you've heard during this podcast and things like that, but 
I mean, there's something so good about seeing a comeback like that. You see Todd Payton, and you see now the belief on the Cowboys' faces. Like, they have truly, well and truly bought in to whatever Todd Payton is trying to do at the Cowboys, and it is working so well. I'd say to perfection. As I said earlier, nobody's perfect, but this is as close to perfect as it could be, and you could see the belief on their faces. Like, now... That may be what flicks the switch from them thinking like, we're having an awesome year, we're pushing for top four. And I think after that, maybe they start to switch their focus and hopefully that's not to their detriment, but I doubt it will be. But now they can start to think, we're well and truly in with a shot of winning the premiership. And that's despite what fans will say and what the media at times will say. Don't, don't discount any side in the finals, even eighth place. There's like... You can win from eighth place, although it is very hard. But the Cowboys, they are in third place. And I genuinely think the wheels are starting to turn. They're starting to figure it out. Like, okay, not only could we be gunning for a premiership this year, but like the next year and the year after that. And you look around the locker room and a lot of that squad could be around for the next five, ten years. Five years, easy, but ten years if their body holds up. Then you look at some veterans like Jordan McLean, who had been criticized so much, just was a shell of his former self, what he was at the Melbourne Storm. He's been selected in the squad for the New South Wales Blues origin team. He won't be in the 17, but I mean, what the Cowboys are doing is just so incredible. And as I said, I like to focus on the positive. And I was hoping all the sides that were lower, like I would have loved to see the Tigers have a season like this or the Bulldogs, but... Ultimately, it's so good seeing a side that was struggling turn it around and to this degree, to this degree has just been phenomenal. I haven't seen something like this in quite a while when it comes to the NRL and that's definitely where some of those 2005 West Tigers comparisons come in just because, yeah, they're a very young side and maybe people still, they, they think they're too young or they think they can't do it. I, I can see this side making, making the grand final, especially... If they come in that top four and they get a home game in Townsville, that is a big advantage given those conditions in Townsville. So as you can tell, very excited about the Cowboys and their hopes this season. With my mid-season wrap during the week and during the preview, I had the Cowboys as my highest achievers out of everyone. Like I had them in 15th and they currently sit in third place. So there has been no side that has blown me away more than the North Queensland Cowboys this year. So impressed. I just got to give full credit to what they are doing there. And it burns. It burns. I was a Warriors fan. I wanted Todd Payton to stay. But he had very fair reasons for not wanting to stay. And if even if he said, like, no, 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 I don't want to be here because you guys, are, just this club has a fucking pattern of mediocrity. And I don't want to be involved in it. I probably would have been like harsh but fair. But he had very good reasons for wanting to go to North Queensland, be the coach there. He'd been an assistant there before as well. And oh, oh, I wish the Warriors kept him. I'll leave it at that. But Cowboys, so lucky to have a coach like Todd Payton. He is unlocking the potential of everyone from their most experienced guys like Townsend and Tal Malolo to the younger guys like Murray Taolangi, who 
Barely even got a game under Paul Green. He was one of the first, because I noticed this at the Warriors, that Todd Payton, he was playing guys like Hayes Perham at the Warriors, and a couple of others where he wasn't afraid to play these young kids, and they were doing well. And so I was interested to see how that went to the Cowboys. Look how it's going. Ruben Cotter, Jeremiah Nanai, Murray Taolonghi, all playing for the Queensland Maroons. Todd Payton, very, very good coach. Is it too early to label it him a special coach? I don't think it's too early to label this a very special season. So could not speak highly enough of Todd Payton. Let's now jump into the stats for this game. Two tries for Lachlan Croker. Christian Tuipilotu and Valentine Holmes, a few blokes scoring doubles throughout that game, but Holmes' second try proving the most important. Lachlan Croker moving the attack, moving the needle, sorry, in attack and defense, 46 tackles. He always tops the manly tackle count, so he's obviously a target, but he well and truly holds his weight, so maybe it's time to pay some more respect to Lachlan Croker, at least from my side. Looking at the meter makers, 270 meters for both Ruben Garrick and Valentine Holmes, who ran plenty of distance at the end there to score the match winner. Manly and their centers, well, they had a combined tackle break count of 12 tackle breaks. So the centers for Manly, you'd have to say, played very well. Morgan Harper had his moments that weren't so great, but Tolu Kola, very special talent. He was my one to watch going into this season for Manly and 12 tackle breaks for the Manly centers. There you go, that's a bit of a point of difference that maybe they can work on that and try to exemplify some strengths like that so that they can get up over the top teams, but they just, they can't. They genuinely do not seem like they can at this stage. And speaking of tackle breaks, Valentine Holmes, six tackle breaks to go along with his 270 meters and two tries. So. I'm going with Holmes for the most valuable player in this game. He really stood up and timely given that we are heading into Origin this weekend. As for the not so good stats, Jason Saab, eight errors. Eight errors, and again, you stick me out on the wing for Manly Seagulls, I would have made more errors. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, more suited to the prop forward position was where I played. Uh, so yeah, the high balls, I, I wear glasses uh, and I didn't wear glasses on the field. So the high balls did not interest me, have no interest in catching high balls. So I'm not here to be like Jason Saab, shit, whatever. He's awesome, he's super fast, very young, still got a lot of time to piece together some of the deficiencies in his game. In saying that, one of the worst games he's played at NRL level, if not the worst. Eight errors, far too many. Like, that is way more than anyone else made during the weekend. He was playing on the left side, so last year he was having a lot more success when he was playing on that right-hand side. I'm wondering whether that had anything to do with it. I guess, like, a lot of them were handling errors. Five of the eight were handling errors, so I guess that doesn't really come into it, but... Jason Saab, yeah, that's... Their backline has been a real interesting one. Like last year, Brad Parker, Morgan Harper, Jason Saab out on the wing, and Ruben Garrick on the other wing. Garrick's been in quality form, but like there's been a huge drop-off for everyone else. Jason Saab, eight errors in this game. Brad Parker hasn't even been making the side. Then you have someone like Morgan Harper, who was so quality last year, but then he got dropped earlier this year. 
He's been recalled, but again, like he's not a lock for that position. Tolu Kola has emerged. Like he's pushed both Brad Parker and Morgan Harper kind of to the side. He's a flashy youngster who looks like maybe he has a higher ceiling. So very, very interesting in terms of the back line and the drop-off there. Hopefully, though, as I said, I like to focus on the positives. And Jason Saab, like, he's someone, even if you send him to reserve grade for a couple of weeks, like, this is a this is a dope winger. I'd, I'd be happy to have him at the Warriors for sure. Like, he's got a lot of upside, Jason Saab. So whilst this was one of the worst games I've seen from an NRL winger in a while... Let's not forget that even some of the game's greatest players, or even the game's greatest players, everyone has had bad games and had bad days, so that was a particularly bad one. But overall, like, Des Hasler, you would say that's the coach for Manly. Like, everything is mostly in place. He's young, Jason Saab. He's got a huge upside. So surely, surely we'll see him get back to his best. I have full faith that he will get back to his best, but... Nowhere near it on Friday night. So Cowboys with the best win of the weekend, although there were some very, very good ones. The last gasp win down in Canberra and the Dogs, which I will get to at the end. My goodness, the Dogs at the moment. But look, we're already 41 minutes in and this is uh, the power hour, so it doesn't mean exactly an hour, but this let's let's keep this going at a nice pace jump into the friday night game now at amy park in melbourne with the melbourne storm at one stage i talked in the preview about how the broncos like people were saying they're not going to win in the finals playing against the storm or panthers or whatever but i have more belief like no they're not my first choice i don't even know if they'd be my dark horse given the form of the north queensland cowboys but no doubt I am just paying full respects to what the Broncos are doing right now in the competition. And they looked awesome. Like, yeah, they didn't win here, but they they had the storm worried. And they've got time to build on that, the Brisbane Broncos. So 32 to 20 in the end for the storm, but the Broncos more than competitive. So I was really happy with what I saw from Brisbane. Unfortunately for them, their seven-game winning run was ended. But look, they get to go back to the drawing board and there's still a bit of season to be played coming out of that origin period. They will be looking to play their best football leading into finals. So seven game win streak ended, but that in itself tells you exactly what you need to know about this side. Seven games in a row, they are in hot form and they took the storm to their limit. But the storm in the end, getting it done, that is three straight wins for Melbourne. And the Storm's halves, well, they just get their team over the line week after week. And they did it once again here, especially in this game. They stood up big time when Melbourne needed players to get the job done. And Craig Bellamy has a system where, you know, I'm sure he'd be equally as happy with his forwards and everyone who did the tough stuff that led up to the uh, halves being able to dominate. But Jerome Hughes and Cameron Munster getting it done for their side in the end. Jerome Hughes scoring a double as did Corey Oates and Dean Eremia, young Melbourne star. He is from Melbourne as well, which funnily enough, not many Storm players historically from Melbourne. Shout out to Mahe Fanua, Richie Kenner, and young Tonamapea, who is back at the club now. And I can definitely see him getting a run once he's had some training under his belt to come from Rugby Union. Uh, but yeah, 
what's his name? Uh, young Tonamapea. He is back in the fold. So I do think we'll see him feature as Storm. They continue to navigate through the origin and now international period. So now you throw in the Bromwich boys as well. They're competing uh, across the board. You've got Felice Kafusi in origin. You've got Harry Grant in origin. You've got Brandon Smith playing for the Kiwis. Munster playing for the Maroons. Hughes playing for the Kiwis. Justin Olam, I'm pretty sure, was named for Papua New Guinea. I'd be surprised if he wasn't playing for his home country. Um, so a lot of guys. I'm sure if Remus Smith was fit, he probably would have been playing for the Kiwis. Uh, so a lot of guys in that lineup playing for their nation. Very, very interesting. Of course, we do know it looks like Ryan Pappenhausen is going to be back after the origin period. So Melbourne Storm in a real good spot right now. As we jump into the stats, Harry Grant, 45 tackles. So was very, very busy. Obviously, the starting dummy half, they try to get him through that full 80 if they can. So with Origin, he has that effect off the bench. And oh, sorry, it's just started to rain. Where he comes off and he adds so much off the bench with that fresh legs up against fatigue. But wow, raining very heavily. But yeah, Harry Grant, 45 tackles in this game. I don't think the Storm will look to play him off the bench, but maybe it, it's like a... Yeah, definitely something to look into. Maybe someone coming off the bench. They've got Wishart. Obviously, they've got Brandon Smith, but he'll be gone from next year. Uh, but yeah, just having a look maybe at a number nine, who potentially they could do what Grant does in origin and come off the bench, start Harry as the number nine. He's so effective from the get-go. Uh, but maybe like, yeah, 30 minutes in for the last 10 minutes of the half or something. Or last 15 minutes, you really work on having this exciting young dummy half who can change the game in that same kind of fashion. And Tyron Wishart, probably the closest to that. I know they've got Cole Geyer in their system as well, who I haven't seen a lot of, but I'd have to assume he's somewhat decent and still has a lot of time to develop. But Harry Grant, overall, like he gets through so much work for Melbourne. That highlighted with his 45 tackles. Speaking of getting through someone's work, well, Corey Oates, back in the Origin squad as well, fully deserving now. He's not going to play unless injury strikes, but still, Corey Oates, he definitely deserves to be that next guy up on the wing, given that Murray Talungi, he's younger. I had Talungi in front of Oates, but like Oates' form, no doubt, has warranted selection. Up against Melbourne Storm, one of the premier sides of the competition, Oates ran for 183 metres and scored two tries. So he's playing like he was when he initially got selected for Origin. Really excited, to, exciting to see. And it seems like we're seeing this maturity from Corey Oates where he's realised the way he was doing things over the last couple of years and he's said so himself just weren't working so it seems like we're seeing a maturity and overall that's helping because he actually is one of the senior players at the broncos still pretty young but he's been around for a hot minute he's has a lot more experience than many of the guys in his team and in the origin arena as well so it seems like now he is maturing into that leadership role huge game against the storm here same for dean aramir the storm winger who He'll be under pressure to keep that spot, especially once Pappenhausen returns and Nick Meany will look to take that left wing spot. Obviously, Xavier Coates is out, but still, Dean Aramir, like, for him, he's looking at potentially being there come grand final day, or at least the final series, and having a chance to be a premiership player. So, Dean Aramir, this is one of his best games of the season. Two tries, 
two line breaks. I think it was the best game of the season, actually. And I've seen some criticisms of him, but I'm actually a huge fan. I really like the way he goes about his business. And I think once he gets some time to develop, he's going to be a great, great player. Whether that's at the Storm or whether somewhere else picks him up, that remains to be seen. But it's good. I like the Melbourne boys playing for Melbourne. There's something nice about that. Justin Olam, two try assists. So he was the one that sent Dean Aramia over. Cannot wait to watch Justin Olam in action this weekend. Looking at the errors and missed tackles, Selwyn Cobbo, three errors. Willing to forgive that. A lot of highlights from Selwyn Cobbo this year. Up against the Melbourne Storm. That's forgivable. Don't need to dwell on that too much. Um, and Billy Walters, six missed tackles. So yeah, they really targeted Billy and successfully. And something like that was the difference in a game that was a lot closer than the scoreline reflected. And honestly, the Broncos... There was a stage where it was like, oh, oh, okay. Broncos may actually get this done here. So, look, Billy Walters is another one who's had a fantastic season. So I won't dwell on the errors too much. What I will look on now is what's up next. Obviously, representative round. But after that, the Storm are going to be away up against Manly. Four Pines Park. Manly have some time to dwell on that Cowboys loss at home. Next up is the Melbourne Storm. And this is it, like Manly 0-8 up against top eight sides. And you just know, like, they're going to be able to push the, uh, the Storm the same way that the Broncos did. And so, yeah, that is definitely a danger game. I can see the Seagulls winning it, like I can envision, but it's really hard after what I've seen this year. But I can see them beating the Storm. They do lift for those games. They will really want to make a statement up against a top eight side, but... That, that one, like, I just have to say from here, it's like an early tip, probably Storm. Like, I don't think I can go for... I'm not going to take Manly as a danger side because they haven't beaten a top eight side. And yeah, I'll probably miss the boat tipping them when they finally do beat a top eight side if they fucking manage to do it. But yeah, I just can't... I can't trust Manly to beat a top eight side. So not good. Storm, they'll, they'll be hoping they can get another win under the belt keep themselves in second spot, keep that pressure on the Panthers who are sitting first as well. As for the Broncos, well, this is going to be one of the marquee games, not just of the round, but of the year. It is another 4X derby. We've got the Broncos and the Cowboys in Townsville, third and fourth, or Broncos fourth, Cowboys third. Cowboys getting a very comprehensive win in the earlier fixture this year, but this time it's in Townsville. I think Advantage Cowboys, we're going to see them coming off Origin as well. So the buy round, it's going to be, it's going to be tricky to see how the, all the balance goes as far as players backing up. Are there any injuries during that period? And yeah, after Origin 2, it's, there's only one more. And then you really start to look into your premiership push. So that is going to be one of the games of the round, if not one of the games of the year. Cowboys hosting Broncos in Townsville. Obviously, I've mentioned the Kiwis as well. Storm with a big contingent playing this weekend. Mentioned the Bromwich brothers, Jerome Hughes, the Cheese. Didn't mention Nelson Asofa Solomona. So there is another one. A lot of their middles in action during this international break, including Tui Kamikamika for Fiji and Justin Olin for Papua New Guinea. And as I mentioned, Munster Grant and Kafusi for Queensland. So my question coming out of this game can the Broncos go all the way? Maybe. 
I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say no. And even if they don't, as I was saying about the Dragons earlier, this is what you want from your team. This is what the Broncos especially were designed, like they're supposed to be, is just in the hunt every year. And you can't say at this point of the season that they are not in the hunt. So really, really encouraged from what I've seen from Brisbane. Young playing group as well. Hopefully they can keep Payne Haas. If they don't, though, they've still got some really, really, really good young players. Selwyn Cobbo, Katoni Staggs. Got some experienced guys like Adam Reynolds, Kirk Capewell as well. Very encouraged by the Broncos. Can't wait for that game up against the Cowboys next weekend. All right, now time for the Super Saturday action, and I'm going to make it a little bit more rapid given that this is supposed to be a power hour, and we're already nearly at the hour mark, so I'll just I'll touch on my points. I won't get into them as much. And the first game, we had the Surging Sharks defeating the last-placed Gold Coast Titans, who may very well pick up the wooden spoon this year. Now, I missed this game, but apparently I was lucky not... Not the best affair, but the Sharks got it done 18-10. to 10. Two very valuable competition points that keeps Cronulla in the hope of a top four finish. So very exciting uh, times. Sorry, I've been a bit bloody off today. I don't know, just fucking with the fairies a little bit. So get myself together. Now the tries. Sione Katoa, Blake Braley and Matt Moylan crossed for the Sharks. And for the Titans, Greg Marziu and both Furmore, who's been called into that Queensland Maroons squad, well-deserved as well. Very quality player. I'm a big fan of both Furmore. Onto the Sharks. They are on a quest for the top four, as I mentioned, and they're not really hurt by the origin period, which is awesome for them. They'll have players like Hines. He, hasn't, he won't be playing in origin, and pretty much their entire squad will be good to go for that back half of the season. So very, very exciting times. If you're a Cronulla fan, not so much if you're a fan of the Titans. I really, I just wrote what is going on at the Titans. Five straight losses for them now. Whereas Cronulla have back-to-back -back wins. They've been in very consistent form this year. Gold Coast, anything but. Fifth straight loss. Not good. Let's move to the stats now. Rapid Super Saturday. Blake Braley, 43 tackles. Awesome in attack. Just as awesome in defense. Tino Fasua Malawe, 190 run meters, with 92 of those being post-contact meters, so he was very, very hard to stop. Giving his all, like that's another note, Tino is busting his ass, but his team just aren't lifting around him. 13 tackle breaks for the Sharks' wingers between Mulatalo and Sione Katoa, 13 tackle breaks, so yeah, you could definitely say they're the best wing pairing in the competition. 18 tackle breaks for the Sharks between their spine, 1, 6, 7, and 9. Kennedy, Moylan, Hines, and Braley combined for 18 tackle breaks. So the spine, like, the forwards did the job, but the spine were clearly working their magic. The wingers were working their magic, and Gold Coast Titans had no answer for it. So even in what seemed apparently like a pretty dire game, for Sharks fans there are things definitely to improve on, but also there's a lot to like. Not so much at the Titans, highlighting some of their not-so-good stats. Sam McIntyre, five missed tackles. Both Furmore, three errors, so not great in the back row for the Titans. Four errors for Britton Nakora as well, so not, not great from Britton, but we may very well see him playing for the Kiwis this weekend. The team hasn't been named. I'm hanging out for that team list as a New Zealand Kiwis supporter. 
After the international tests, we have the Sharks hosting the Bulldogs. That is going to be one hell of a game. Three weeks ago, it's like, eh. Now, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm very keen for Sharks up against the Bulldogs. And the Titans will be playing the Knights in Newcastle. Knights are going to be up for that one. Like, they will be desperate for a win there. Titans need to show something. But, yeah, I really, really don't know what's going on at the Titans. For the Sharks, I'll just quickly go through their run home before I move on to the next game. Sharks run home, they've got the Dogs away, then they play the Storm at home. I believe, oh, someone's texting, uh, I believe that the Melbourne Storm, I think that's during the Origin period. So the Sharks should have a mainly full-strength squad other than Talakai, and I think the Storm will have like Munster and such out. So that's actually a very winnable game for the Sharks, as is the Dogs. Then they've got the Cowboys and Townsville after that into the Panthers. So that's a tough three-week period. You could even say four-week period, given how the Bulldogs are playing at the moment. So Dogs storm away from home, Cowboys away from home, Panthers away from home. So that is going to be a very, very telling period for this Cronulla side. And then we have all well, the Storms at home, but Cowboys and Panthers are away rather. So they the, the Storm game is more winnable. Given that they will have like Munster and maybe a couple of others out as well, or definitely a couple of others out, um, but that that's a very very tricky one to navigate. Then they'll play the Bunnies at home, Dragons at home, Tigers away, Seagulls away. They'll play the Dogs again at home before finishing their season in Newcastle up against the Knights. So I think they'll be able to learn a lot of lessons over the next four, three or four weeks. Four weeks definitely uh, with Storm Cowboys Panthers. And then they've got some very winnable games on the run home. So, feeling good. I'm feeling very good about the Cronulla Sharks at the moment as we now move on to the next game where the Panthers destroyed the Warriors. Oh, dear. My side, the Warriors. Uh, Look, quick reflection. It's been three years. They've been in Redcliffe. Uncertainty. Away from home. We all know the drill. Uh, And, yeah, the season has been awful, but credit to them definitely as a Warriors fan I'm very appreciative that they stayed out kept the competition going I was able to continue to watch Warriors games whilst they made huge sacrifices and missed out on time is very important and they missed a lot of time over in New Zealand and yeah and just so you know the game could continue their livelihood could continue and so we could continue to watch the game and me especially as a Warriors fan yeah, I want to watch my team. I want to watch my team. I don't want to watch the 15-team competition without the Warriors. So thank you to staying. We could have left maybe a week early when the Panthers... This was originally scheduled to be in Auckland, uh, but we maybe should have just said, you know what, Panthers, we'll, we'll, we're going to go to New Zealand now. We're, we've been here for ages, and yeah, we'll, we'll just... Yeah, don't worry about that one. But they did worry about it. And they got smashed, but they're about to return to New Zealand. So look, I'll wait for the preview podcast to really get into that and talk about how much it means for them to return to Mount Smart. But this I'll review more the game. So I wrote Sean Johnson's future. Uh, that, that could definitely be up in the air. I, I'm excited to see him return to New Zealand because I do believe he's been away from his family and that could definitely be a big part of his form dip. But Sean Johnson, a lot of question marks. So that going forward will be interesting. The club's definitely gone backwards in the Nathan Brown era. But now we look forward 
But before we look forward, let's talk about this game. Moses Leota scores the first try. Panthers absolutely destroyed us. Dylan Edwards, how good is he? When in the form competition, fullbacks, he is up there with the likes of Pappenhausen and Tedesco. So very unlucky to be a fullback in an era where we have some very dominant ones. But Dylan Edwards, what a player. And yeah, I saw firsthand, absolutely shredded the Warriors. Panthers playing at a significantly faster speed than the New Zealand side. And yeah, Warriors were awful, but let's look forward to the New Zealand return. Shining lights, Reese Walsh and Josh Curran always give their all. So glad to have them at the club. Same with Torhu Harris. And now we look forward. So, yep, good on you boys. You've got through the three years. I'll talk more about that in the preview. Looking at the stats, Brian Toto scored a double, ran for 217 metres with 88 post-contact metres and two line breaks. So, Brian Toto definitely priming himself for origin this weekend. Whilst in a losing side, Jazz Tavanga worked really hard, ran for 137 metres and made 36 tackles. So, even when we're getting absolutely smashed, Jazz Tavanga always gets through the tough stuff. So I'm a really, really big fan of his. So glad that he is a warrior. Api Corusau, named in the number nine jersey for the New South Wales Blues. I'll talk briefly about the team announcements at the end of this podcast. He had 47 tackles. Podcast, there's only one of them. 47 tackles for Api. He, there was talk he was going to be New South Wales number 14. That's what I wrote down here. Uh, just after the game, but he's the number nine. So I will touch on that at the end. 47 tackles and two try assists for Arpi. So worked himself into phenomenal form. Been in phenomenal form since the last three years, even before then when he was at Manly. But he's just totally stepped it up to become one of the elite nines of the competition. And that is reflected by his selection as the Blues' official number nine. Now, Penrith, their defense, I got to see firsthand as a Warriors fan just how good their defense is and how good their attack is and how poor the Warriors' fifth tackle options are. That's what I've seen all season. Just goes to Sean Johnson and we'll kick it dead or just like some bomb. And the fifth tackle options are a major, major problem. Again, this is a bit more rapid, so I'd like to touch on all of these things in detail in the preview podcast, so keep your ear out for that. But the fifth tackle options, huge problem for the Warriors. Back to the stats. Stephen Crichton had two try assists. Nathan Cleary also had two try assists alongside Arpi Corosau. So plenty of creativity within that Penrith outfit. For the not-so-good stats, let's have a look at this. Jack Murchie, who I actually think has been really, really much improved this year. He had four missed tackles. The halves, Johnson and Volkman on debut, had six missed tackles between them. Uh, But as I said, Volkman on debut, I'm still very, very happy to have him in Warriors colors and excited to see what he can do. Hopefully we don't fuck his development up. Same goes for Reese Walsh. Like, we've got to be careful on that front for sure. Speaking of Walsh, he made two errors, as did Bailey Sirenin. So those were some of the not-so-good stats. Next up, the Panthers will be hosting the Roosters, who they've beaten before this year. And that, for the Roosters like that, it's going to have a lot of eyes on it because Roosters currently sitting outside the top eight. Penrith Panthers in first position. They've dismantled the Roosters already and that is going to be at home for Penrith. So that that's a big, big game for the Roosters. 
Roosters in ninth place is a big wow. I had them as my premiership winners, and I thought Panthers and Storm, like, they seem to be the clear teams up there. Eels were the other team. I was like, I'm not going to pick them, but, like, maybe. I can envision it. But I picked the Roosters, so I'm shocked to see them in ninth place. Now they need to lift, but there's pressure building on them. For the Warriors, they will play the Tigers at Mount Smart Stadium. Cannot wait. Going to be so good to have them back in New Zealand. As for the Warriors' next coach, he needs time to build. Four or five years. We need to find the right guy who's going to move the needle. Not a Nathan Brown. And we've got to fucking get things going. Give them four to five years. We haven't had consistency in a coach since Ivan Cleary. It has been a long, long time. And last time we had consistency in a coach, Ivan Cleary took us to the 2011 Grand Final at the end of his run, once he'd had some time. So we, abs- and I just, I don't know, I just didn't feel like Nathan Brown. I was like, I didn't feel like I was like four or five years for him. It was more like two or three. Uh, but this time we need to lock in the right guy. Otherwise, I, I don't know. I'm losing faith in the Warriors and their setup and their decision making. So I don't have the most confidence. Piss off work. Don't. Sorry, I got my phone on loud because I'm waiting, getting a couple of things delivered at bed. So that's something to get excited about. But back to the Warriors coach needing time to build. Who would I like that to be? Well, Wolf, Christian Wolf or Shane Flanagan. Michael Maguire, I'm actually like going to be keeping a very close eye on how the New Zealand Kiwis go this weekend. Michael Maguire, Shane Flanagan or Christian Wolf. That is who I would like to see at the Warriors. And I do know there'd be a lot of criticism around Michael Maguire, but I think he can move the needle. And he said so himself. He still wants to win another premiership at NRL level. He's the kind of hard taskmaster that the Warriors are after as well, so I can definitely see them going in that direction. And it seems like a lot of the Tigers like players really, really liked Michael Maguire. They were very close to him. You could see on Tales of Tiger Town, if you watched it, just how passionate Madge is or was about the Tigers, and still definitely would be. And he he would be good at the Warriors. I genuinely think Michael Maguire could make a massive difference. Christian Wolfe and Shane Flanagan are the other ones, but I think Flanagan is going to be very, very hot property. Sorry, I'm shuffling with the notes a little bit. Paul Green, he has been named as well as a potential candidate. I don't know. Like, I'm sure he'd do an awesome job. I'm just not feeling Paul Green. So... Christian Wolf, Shane Flanagan, or Michael Maguire. That is who I'd like to see as the next Warriors coach, but I welcome anyone who wants to put their hand up and do it. Let's see who ends up getting the gig. Now it's time to rapidly move through our Saturday night primetime fixture. And this one was easily the best game of Super Saturday. One of the best games, if not the best game of the weekend. The standard was very high on full display. It was the Parramatta Eels that we expected after that dreadful dog's loss. And for the Roosters, well, hard to pinpoint exactly where they're at at this point in the season, but a very high-level game with the Eels getting it done 26-16. They are now one apiece this season with Roosters getting the win during Magic Round, but Eels showed a lot more on this occasion. Had a bit of a finals-like intensity to it as well. And in the preview for this game, I talked about how a point of difference for the Eels could definitely be Isaiah Papali'i, and he was exactly that. Scored a try, six tackle breaks. Isaiah Papali'i is a huge point of difference for the Eels this year. 
But going forward, huge part of the puzzle, or huge piece of the puzzle rather, in the West Tigers setup and what they are trying to build. He is the perfect kind of signing for them, as is RP Coruscant. So Tigers have done very well in that regard. But talking about the Eels and Roosters game, we saw the Eels on fire through the middle. Sean Lane played the best game I've ever seen him play. Uh, just like that try assist for Dylan Brown toward the start of the game, I was just like, wow. He is a phenomenal player. Very glad he's in my super coach draft team as well. Regan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Paolo, I spoke about how potentially maybe they were burnt out. Definitely looked that way against the Dogs, having to back up from Origin, but they collected themselves very, very well. Both of them running for over 200 meters. The props and Sean Lane, like the Ford Pack with Isaiah Papali'i, everyone in the Ford Pack really laid the platform for the Eels to go to work. Checking out some of the stats of the game. Before before that, actually, another note. Can the Roosters make the eight? Yes, but could the Roosters miss the eight? They are sitting in ninth place right now. It's it's testy. It is testy. I'll, I'll go into the ladder at the end of this podcast. I wrote, can the Eels win a premiership? I still believe that they can. The key to that is their halves, Dylan Brown and Mitch Moses. And looking at the Roosters' halves, Sam Walker and Luke Carey, both amazing players, but... I know Kerry didn't play in this game, but yeah, the Roosters halves, it's its not worked nearly as well as we thought it would. There's still, I thought maybe there's still time, but Luke Kerry, hearing maybe that the future could be dicey. I know that they've come out and said otherwise, but going forward, yeah, the Luke Kerry situation, definitely a watch this space. But now let's get on to the statistics. Joseph Suwali in attack was really, really good. 10 tackle breaks. 10 tackle breaks for Suwali. I think next year he'll be playing Origin if he's fit. He could be, like, maybe. I think they don't want to rush calling him up this year. There's a couple of guys in front of him, but I think Joseph Suwali could be there next year. He's already killing it at NRL level. 10 tackle breaks, 2 tries, 3 line breaks. That tells you everything you need to know about just how dangerous Joseph Suwali is. Although he does have some young rookie errors in his game still. 2 errors and 4 missed tackles. But, I mean, another preseason, and that'll make a world of difference, plus this experience that he is getting right now. So, what a player, Joseph Suwali. feel very, very privileged that I get to watch him from the get-go, you know, first-grade debut onwards, because this seems like it's going to be a very, very special journey. Quality player is Joseph Suwali. Junior Paolo ran for 229 metres. Regan Campbell-Gillard, 215 metres. Like I said, they absolutely led from the front. Lindsay Collins in the middle for the Roosters worked very hard defensively. 47 tackles for Lindsay. Sean Lane, as I mentioned, absolutely brained it. Two try assists, three line break assists. <sighs> Sean Lane, what a player. Was it the Warriors at one stage? We didn't even play him. Tells you what the Warriors are like, doesn't it? Now, Marcus Sivo back in action. The return against the Dogs got some fitness, but... Yeah, it was just a shit result, but tonight, or on this night, much improved showing from Mike Acevo. Eight tackle breaks. He was very hard to stop, including that one run where he probably had like four or five of his tackle breaks there. He is such a damaging player, and the Eels will be very happy to have him back on that left wing. Post-representative round, the Roosters are going to be away up against the Panthers, so that is a very tough one. And the Eels are going to play 
the Rabbitohs. So that's another pretty tricky one to predict. Now I'm going to look at the Roosters one home because they are sitting in ninth right now. So that is definitely a point of interest. Roosters, Roosters, Roosters will be playing the Panthers away from home. Tough game. Then they're going to have the bye. Dragons at home, Knights away, and let's not forget that Knights beat them in round one this year. Manly Seagulls, Broncos at home, Cowboys at home, so there'll be some very interesting games. Tigers at home, so that's kind of, after the bye round, that's where the Roosters really need to make their run, but they've got to give a decent account of themselves. Up against the Panthers too, so oh, they've got this bye here, or this bye week, into Panthers, then a bye, and then they're resetting, and very winnable games, although Broncos and Cowboys will be tough. They finish with Storm in Melbourne, and then the Rabbitohs, so yeah, definitely a watch this space. If the Roosters miss the eight, that that will be very, very surprising, but it could be a reality. Let's see. Now the ball's in the court of the likes of the Rabbitohs, and the likes of the Eels, the Dragons, the Seagulls, and the Raiders, and let's not forget the Roosters themselves. So no doubt the race for the top eight well and truly heating up toward the bottom of the eight, and not much interest in the bottom four kind of situation other than the dogs starting to rapidly improve. And in the top four, definitely some spots in the top four still up for grabs. Cowboys, Broncos, and Sharks look the most likely to fight it out. Although if the Eels can get some consistency, they could definitely find themselves there too. So very excited for this finals race. But now let's jump on to the Sunday action. Starting with the Raiders in Canberra escaping with a crucial win at the very last minute. For me, that is the Knights' finals hopes ended. Unfortunately, they were already a massive long shot. But oh, that last, last gasp death. Yeah, I think that is the ninth season done. But for the Raiders, my second team, I was at GIO Stadium only a couple of weeks ago to cheer them on. Really, really happy to see them get the job done. Hudson Young, an incredible performance, scoring the match-winning try, Raiders getting it done 20-18, to 18, and Canberra are not done with yet. They are still going to be looking to compete come final series. Now, as far as this game, we saw Jack Whiten was ruled out with COVID, just like he has been for the New South Wales Blues. With Matt Frawley stepping up yet again, he has really been a useful, useful part of that top 30. Been around in the Raiders system for a couple of years now, was also a Raiders junior. Spent some time in England and also at the Bulldogs, but Matt Frawley has actually been a vital part of what the Raiders are trying to do and helping them kick along and still be there in top eight contention when they've spent the majority of the season without their first choice halves. They had, didn't have their first choice halfback, Jeremiah Fogarty, for quite, quite some time, first four months of the season. And Jack Whiten's missed action as well. So Matt Frawley has really stepped up this season. Of course, Jamal Fogarty, now that he's had a couple of games under his belt for the Green Machine, he is starting to really come into his own. An awesome signing. He was exactly what the Raiders needed at halfback after George Williams left the club. Thinking about the fullback role as well, and whether Chance Nicole Klukstad comes back into that position, I would say so. Xavier Savage still developing, and ultimately I do think only just Chance Nicole Klukstad does have the edge, but Xavier Savage with each passing week, he is very impressive. Some rookie errors in his game, 
Uh, but ultimately, I, I just think he is such an incredible, incredible player. Joe Tarpanay, he set up the first try with an awesome cutout ball for Nick Kotrich to score. Joe Tarpanay is in the best form of his career. He is finally reaching the great heights that the Raiders had hoped from him when they signed him as a youngster from Newcastle. Great work to set up the first try. Then Matt Tomoko, he scored a quality try himself. He is really starting to take a take well to first grade. It's taken him some time to kind of develop, work it all out, but now we are really starting to see Matt Tomoko hit his stripes. Xavier Savage, then it was a no try for Xavier Savage, so the score remained 8-all. And then Fogarty kicked Xavier Savage this time, did score a try, so 14-0 to the Raiders. Kurt Mann scored to bring the Knights back into the game. And then Matt Croker scored his first NRL try. That well and truly had the Knights back in the contest. Then we saw Elliot Whitehead get sinbinned, followed by Edric Lee scoring. And all of a sudden, it's 18-14 to to the Knights. So the Raiders completely fading, which is not, not a great sign. But they held in there. Dominic Young nearly scored for the Knights to solidify their lead was ruled a no-try by the video referee. Then we saw Xavier Savage come up with a blunder. Anari Tuala capitalised on that knock-on. Um, but, yeah, it gives it to Edric Lee and no-try. That one was a no-try as well. So Knights had a couple of chances to really claim this win, and they just fell short. Then we see Tarpane, absolutely clutch play. He gets touch and field off his own line, so they were trying to trap him in his end goal. And just too big, too strong. Gets out of there. And then we see Hudson Young with the game-winning play. Huge fan of Hudson's. And he did it all himself to get the job done. So he's one of my favorite Raiders. Not the first time this season as well. He has scored a game-winning try. So incredible work from Hudson Young. Also very, very impressed with Adam Elliott playing in the middle. Who he's actually off to the Knights next year. Seven tackle busts in this game for Adam Elliott. Looking at some of the other stats, 53 tackles for Knights hooker Chris Randall. Joe Tarpanay topped the metres with 203 metres. He is consistently topping the count. I would say he is the best prop in the world at the moment, alongside someone like James Fisher-Harris. So as a Kiwi, very happy that they'll be lining up for their nation of New Zealand this weekend. Joe Tarpanay, like, what a player. He's a real point of difference for the Kiwis this weekend. And I did talk about in this game, Raiders and Knights, the key battle was going to be in the middle. Clemmer was outstanding as well, but I thought that is where a lot of the action was going to go down. I was correct on that one. And Joe Tarpanay got the better of the Knights forward pack. Let's not forget as well, Joseph Tarpanay, a former Newcastle Knight himself. Back to Hudson Young. Not only did he score the game-winning try... Also had nine tackle breaks, so was working very hard throughout the whole game. Callum Ponga for the Knights. He was really good. Probably the best game he's played this season. Two try assists and seven tackle breaks for Ponga. Looking at the not-so-good stats, Anthony Milford, nine missed tackles. Uh, kind of showing a bit of the form we kind of saw toward his time at the Broncos toward the end there. Xavier Savage came up with four errors as well. That's kind of what leads me to believe that CNK will resume at the fullback role once he gets back. Um, but yeah, we won't, we won't dwell on those stats too much. Post-representative round, we've got the Knights hosting the Titans. I think that's a pretty winnable game for the Knights, but who knows at this stage. 
and the Raiders will be travelling to play the Dragons. I've already highlighted just how big the first of their two encounters is going to be, and I'll jump into that more on the weekly preview podcast. But now let's get in to the last game of the round, the Bulldogs. Wow, Meg Potter has really got them going. For the Tigers under Brett Kamali, quite the opposite, but the Bulldogs... I mean, they didn't just beat the Tigers, they thrashed the Tigers, and they thrashed the Eels last week, so all of a sudden, we're starting to see some positive signs for the Dogs. Their first back-to-back wins of the season, they're starting to build, the combinations are there, we're starting to see a way forward for the Bulldogs, under Michael Potter's, well, Mick Potter's tutelage, so very, very impressed with Mick Potter, and maybe the Tigers... Maybe the Tigers had a good coach and they let him go. Wouldn't be the first time, would it? So Doggies absolutely trouncing the Tigers, 36-12. Two comprehensive wins in a row for the Bulldogs. A very bright future ahead as well. I'm loving Matt Burton, Jake Avarillo, Aaron Shop, Jacob Kiraz. Some of these young names that could be Bulldogs for years to come. So all of a sudden we're seeing a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. Thanks to Mick Potter, the coaching he's doing is just amazing. I do believe Shane Flanagan will be there next year, but I mean, Mick Potter certainly not hurting his chances of any future jobs, doing a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous job as the coach of the Bulldogs. He was the one who made the idea to shift Jake Avarillo to fullback. That is easily his best position. It is working a treat. Matt Dufty, it just it wasn't working. Mick Potter made the decision. Flick the switch, Avrilo to fullback, hasn't looked back, and neither have the Bulldogs going absolutely incredibly in the last fortnight, heading into this international rep round. For the Tigers, well, I felt like they were going to bottom out this year. I've said it many times, I still feel that way. Cameron Seraldo, well, they've put a timeline on him saying, if we don't hear by the end of the week, we'll go after someone else, which... Not the wisest thing to do, Seraldo uh, very meticulous, so to say you only have a week definitely decreases your chances. And if you think he's the next long-term coach, why wouldn't you Why wouldn't you wait? But it seems like Tiger's getting a little bit impatient. John Morris was another name potentially floated, which I wouldn't mind that. He's shown that he can get a club out of a messy situation before. Shane Flanagan, probably the most likely candidate. And someone like Paul Green, definitely an option as well. I mentioned earlier in the podcast some of the awesome signings for the Tigers next year. Api Korosau, Isaiah Papali'i. That's why I believe the Tigers will bottom out this year. And hopefully they'll be on an upward trajectory as of next season. Jackson Hastings' contract, though, that is going to be a big part of it. Hastings off contract. They have to keep him if they want to continue building in a positive direction. And I think it's time to move Luke Brooks on. Give him a go somewhere else. I think he would go very well in another club. So I think it's time for Luke Brooks. Move him on. Give him a go at another club. I think he'll thrive not being at the Tigers like many before him have. All right, nearly at an hour and a half. So just rapidly get through the stats and then I'll wrap this podcast up. 48 tackles for Joe Offahengawi, who's been very solid in the lock forward position. So much so that Tigers don't really see a need for Tyrone Peachy after just one year into his deal. Jake Avarillo with two tries was absolutely outstanding. The idea of moving him to fullback, perfect. Absolutely perfect call from Mick Potter. Aaron Shop was another youngster who was on fire. 
100 or 200 rather 293 almost 300 meters for Aaron Shop as well as a try he was incredible I mean the whole back five the whole team was incredible but the back five for the Bulldogs they were causing the Tigers all kinds of issues that extends to Josh Adokar who had one try assist 10 tackle breaks I mean he couldn't have done anything more to say hey Freddie I need to be back in that blue side. But unfortunately, he didn't work his way back in. So very unlucky for Josh Adokar. Moving on to some of the not-so-great stats. Six missed tackles for Alex Seyfarth, so not his best night. And Kelma Tuilangi, Manly Seagulls bound next year. Three errors and five missed tackles. So not first-grade standard, but I'd say again, once he leaves the Tigers, he'll probably look absolutely incredible at the Manly Seagulls. Post-rep round, Bulldogs up against the Sharks. Cannot wait for that game. And the Tigers travelling to New Zealand. The first side to do so in three years to go to Auckland, Mount Smart Stadium and play the Warriors in what seems to be the Spoon Bowl. So uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. At least there is something to get excited about given that the Warriors are finally returning to New Zealand. But other than that, not a lot, not a lot of exciting stuff going on around that game but with that being said that was my thoughts on all of the eight games throughout the round round 15 and so to finish up the podcast what i'll do as i do each podcast x factor player of the round rising star nomination the tough stuff award my cause for concern i'll take a little bit of a look at the ladder and i will finish up by looking at the state of origin two teams let's start with the x factor player of the round i've decided to pick jerome hughes I mean, you could pick anyone from the Storm Spine on any given day as the X-Factor player across the whole competition, but I've gone Jerome this time around, heading into the Kiwis game this weekend as well. Very keen to see how he goes for his nation, but Jerome Hughes, the X-Factor player, two tries, and as I said during the game, uh, the Storm Halves, they got their side over the line. Jerome Hughes in particular, I thought, had a real X-Factor about him with the number seven jersey on his back, so... Round 15's X-Factor player of the round, Jerome Hughes. My rising star nomination, if people gave a shit, probably maybe contentious, but uh, Aaron Shop. I've gone Aaron Shop uh, from the Bulldogs. Now, he may not, I don't think he can be considered for the rookie of the year in the NRL, but this is the Not Just the Sports Report rising star. I can make my own rules, and he's a rising star, the most definitely, so... Aaron Shop gets my nomination for this round. I thought he was simply outstanding. Jacob Kiraz came very close to getting nominated himself. Joseph Suwali was in the frame, but for round 15, I have given the nomination to Aaron Shop. He will now join the other 14 Rising Star nominations. And it's going to be very interesting. There is obviously the top four. At the end of the year, I will be posting over on the Not Just a Sports Report Instagram, running a poll to decide who is the inaugural Not Just a Sports Report rising star for the 2022 season. So Aaron Shop from the Bulldogs, not just in this game, but this year he has been outstanding, loving his work out on that left edge alongside Josh Adokar. So Aaron Shop, round 15's rising star. And as it stands, the top four currently consists of Selwyn Cobbo, Taylor May, Isaac Tago, and Jeremiah Nanai, with Ezra Mam sitting just outside. And at the end of the year, whoever's in that top four, and it's going to be hard to break into that top four, whoever's in there, 
they will be able to be voted for and we will crown the first ever rising star. So Aaron Shop, round 15's nomination. For the Tough Stuff Award, I went Junior Paolo. Could have been him or Regan Campbell-Gillard, but Junior was just phenomenal through the middle. Really asked some questions in a big game against the Roosters. So Tough Stuff, and not for the first time this season, goes to Junior Paolo. My cause for concern remains the same. The Gold Coast Titans. Uh, I could have seen, envisioned the Warriors sitting down the bottom of the table. Definitely the Tigers. I had higher hopes for the Gold Coast Titans and things just have not worked. Kieran Foran on the way to the club next year. It's not all doom and gloom. David Fafita about to return and their captain, Tino Fasua Malawe, playing as good as he ever has with many of his best years still ahead of him. So there are signs for the Titans, but that's what makes the fact that they are sitting dead last that much worse. The worst defense in the competition this year, I don't know if that's statistically, but from the eye, from what I've seen, their defense is a major issue. Creativity from the number nine position as well remains an issue. I'm wondering, do they give Aaron Booth a go? Seems like they're going to stick with uh, Aaron Clark, who's been named in the New Zealand Kiwi squad, so that probably cements him as the Titans' number nine, but... Yeah, definitely concerned. There is cause for concern considering the Titans. They want to win two premierships in the next 10 years. Well, year one couldn't be going any worse. New logo, new colors, worse results. <clears throat> so they've regressed back to what they were before Justin Holbrook took the reins. And I'm not going to heap any pressure on him because I actually rate Justin Holbrook a lot. I think he's the right man for the job. Just concerned about the Titans at the moment. As far as the reserve grade performer, I've gone with Albert Hopawate in the New South Wales Cup for the Canberra Raiders. He was on fire on the weekend, scoring four tries up against the Newcastle Knights. He, that was a very close game too, so Albert Hopawate was the difference. If we see a couple more backline injuries at the Raiders, maybe Albert gets a go. They haven't really given him a go, so he's very talented for mine. I'm not sure what's happening there, whether they're seeing something at training or are they giving him time to develop because yeah I, I thought he would be an NRL player by now there's no harm in giving him some more time to develop but clearly Albert Hopawade seems to be almost above that New South Wales Cup level now so if if the Raiders don't want him like I would love the Warriors to have a crack at Albert Hopawade I would have wanted this for, since he was at the Seagulls so I think clubs will be willing to make a move on Hopawate if he doesn't end up getting minutes at the Raiders. So watch this space. Could even land at the Dolphins. Now, final thing to get to. It's been an hour and a half, this podcast, so I'll try to keep this one short. It's the State of Origin teams. Of course, I will be doing a State of Origin preview in itself. So I'll save the chat around everything Origin for that podcast. But let's go through the teams named, starting with the Mighty Maroons. Kalen Ponga at fullback. Billy Slater, of course, one of the greatest fullbacks of all time. Once again, getting his chance to work some magic with Kalen. Selwyn Cobbo on one wing and Murray Taolangi making his debut. Very much well-deserved. Super happy to see them, well, see them name him here. And I wouldn't have minded if they went for him in game one, but I understand why they went for Xavier Coates. But Murray Taolangi, he stepped up. He's playing to origin form, so I'm very excited to see him get a go. In the centres... The ever-consistent pairing, I mean, they just step up for Origin every time. Dane Gagai and Valentine Holmes. And you want to talk about stepping up at Origin time? Cameron Munster, the 5'8", 
and the captain, Daly Cherry Evans, at halfback. So only two changes for the Maroons. Everything else basically the same. Lindsay Collins comes off the bench. He's going to start at prop now. He um, came off the bench in game one. And Josh Papali'i, limited minutes in the first game. He will start at prop in this one with Ben Hunt once again in the number nine. In the back row, Kurt Capewell, Felice Kafusi, and Tino Fasua-Malawe comes into the lock position from prop, replacing the injured Ruben Cotter. On the bench, Harry Grant, Jai Arrow, who's earned a recall, Patrick Carrigan, I mean, wow, this is a Queensland origin player for years to come, no doubt. And Jeremiah Nanai, who is, along with Selwyn Cobbo, in that top four for Rising Star. And honestly, Tago and May were at the top for most of the season. Selwyn Cobbo really started to turn it on, heading into Origin to get himself right up to the top. Although it's the top four, so they can all be voted for, unless someone can unsurf one of them. But... Now Jeremiah Nanai on that bench for Queensland and Selwyn Cobbo. If the Maroons get the series win here, well, that boosts both of their resumes and credentials as to why they could be the rising star for 2022. Tom Dearden, 18th man once again. Tom Flegler, 19. Bo Fermor, Corey Oates and Reese Walsh from the Warriors, who, yeah, I'm stoked with this, especially if Reese Walsh ends up staying with the Warriors long term, which is highly unlikely, but... To have him working with Billy Slater and have him around the elite players of the competition. Have him alongside Callan Ponger as well, exchanging some tips and tricks. As well as Munster, who's been a great fullback at times. So look, there's going to be a wealth of knowledge for Reese Walsh to learn from. He'll come back to the Warriors a much better player for it. So I'm a huge fan of that. Like, definitely he wasn't going to be the fullback this year. Uh, Warriors form shocking as well which has not helped his chances, even though he's been very solid. But it's a chance for him to get around the Origin Arena. So I'll talk a little bit more about that in the preview podcast. Now for the blue side, a few changes here to a losing side. James Tedesco will captain the side at fullback with Brian Toto and Daniel Tupo on the wings. Now in the centres, two changes. Whiten out with COVID and Katoni Staggs omitted from the side. We see Stephen Crichton, who it just didn't work for him in the number 14 jersey. He either has to start or not be in the side. I like this from Brad Fittler. Stephen Crichton and Matt Burton in the centres. Matt Burton was always going to play for the New South Wales Blues. Potentially not this year, but like he was always going to be an Origin player. He is so damn good. And there's so many Penrith connections through this side. You've got Cleary and Luai in the halves. Crichton in the centres, Burton in the centres, who's just come from the Panthers as a Deli M centre of the year, Brian Toto, and then in the Ford pack, you have Arpi Corusau, named in the number nine. They're kind of going to go a similar path to what Queensland have done. Cook off the bench, same as Harry Grant off the bench, Arpi Corusau linking up with all his Penrith teammates, Isaiah Yo and Liam Martin as well. Like, this has a very strong Panthers feel to it and deservedly so because they have been head and shoulders the best team of the competition so far this year. Payne Haas and Jake Trebojevic in the front row. Congratulations to Jake Trebojevic. Very much well deserved and stoked for him. He's the best defensive player in the game and he is going to add a hell of a lot for the Blues. Cameron Murray, Liam Martin in the back row with Isaiah Yo On the bench, Damian Cook in the number 14. Angus Crichton, Junior Paolo, and Sifa Talakai to make his debut. So that's a big one 
very keen to see him for the Blues, although I am a Queensland fan, so hopefully we can contain him, but he could be a real problem. In the number 18 jersey, Nico Hines, Joseph Suwali, 19, Jordan McLean, phenomenal story for him to get back to this point in the number 20 jersey, Clint Gutherson and Victor Radley rounding out the squad. Gutherson and Radley, I think their energy very much going to be why they're included in this squad to keep the boys up, keep them focused and ready to go. So those are the origin sides. I'll be going through the actual game preview on a separate podcast and then I'll be doing another podcast for the preview of the international clashes coming up. So a lot of exciting things coming up in rugby league. And with that being said, this has been the NRL Power Hour. So until next time, have a great week and take care of yourselves.